Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Estás escuchando Échale Podcast, a podcast where we embrace our Latinidad. The good, the bad, the ugly. You love English? Te encanta el español? Well, we got a whole lot of Spanglish. A storytelling podcast. And like my mom used to say, Échale, mijo, que tú puedes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Echale Podcast. My name's Jose Quintero, and I'm so excited to be here with Katia Echazarreta, first Mexican-born woman in space. ¿Cómo estás, Katia? Hola, muy bien, muy bien. Know, you know what? I'm a lot more nervous because I, I told you before we started this interview, I'm the last thing keeping you from eating. No, you're so good. I'm, like, I'm hoping I don't make this so complicated. But I think for the past couple of months, a lot of us have been getting to know you on social media, the civil work that you do, the empowerment work that you do. But I want to get to know a little bit more of Katia desde chiquita. I want to start there. Mm. I want to start with your roots. Our podcast is about cómo la gente ha llegado a echarle ganas a la vida, but qué es lo que le vas a echar a la vida to, you know, to that legacy. Yeah. Obviously, you're already in the history books. You're in the history books, and I don't know si eso te ha pegado. No, no not yet, yet, no. Like, I'm pretty sure my kids are going to be, your kids are going to be reading about you, and they're going to be like, oh It's a lot God. of pressure for them. I, know, I kind of feel bad. But talk to me. How was your childhood? Because I know growing up in Guadalajara, it, it was probably different than here in the United States. I know your dad also comes from a science background, but how was that growing up? So I think it's it's an interesting question because so many people will say that to me. They'll say, well, your dad is an engineer and your grandpa was an engineer. You come from a family of engineers. And so it makes sense. You've yeah. had the support. You've had the exposure. And it's kind of like, yes and no. I mean, I had the exposure because I saw it, yeah. but I'm a girl. I am a Mexicana. I'm a Latina. I was not allowed to touch that. I was not allowed to like that. And that was really hard for me to wrap my head around that I'm seeing my dad work so hard to try to get my brother into it and bring all these little components and like little STEM toys to my brother. And he was the one that was getting to build the bridges and, and build the ramps. And I was, if I wanted to do that, I had to play with my brother with his things. So that was kind of difficult where, yeah, I was getting the exposure, but I was also being told very explicitly, you're not supposed to touch that. Yeah, so you definitely saw like a presence of the machismo culture mm -hmm. when you were growing up. And is your brother younger or older? My brother is younger, and that's, that's the reason why that helped. Because the I'm I'm the second oldest, okay. but he's the baby. And so I could kind of be like, hey, go tell him that you like this and this uh -huh. and this. Or like, go tell him that you want this new ramp and blah, 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 because yeah. we're going to build like anti-gravity cars. <laughs> and so he would go and ask for it, and then we would play that together and like build robots together. Uh -huh. But if he was older, Yeah. I don't know if that would have been so easy. <laughs> yeah, that, that would have been a different story. Do you think um, your dad started noticing that you took liking in like science and space and engineering and he tried to prevent you from that route to a certain extent? Because we also know that the STEM field is hard for women. 
Yes. So maybe he saw something in the workplace that he's like, you know what, for, para mi hija, yo no quiero que viva esto que pase por lo que yo he visto en mm -hmm, mi trabajo. Mm -hmm. So that definitely was one of the reasons. Um, so I remember it was so strange even now to try to understand it and wrap my head around Because, you know, it's kind of like you look at your parents and you think, oh, they know. They know what they're doing. They make choices logically. And yeah. I believe them. Right. And so now looking back at some of these things that I grew up with, it's like, no, actually, parents are people. Yeah. People make mistakes and people sometimes don't have valid reasons for why they do what they do. So I remember that, yes, my dad started to notice that I did like it. And it was strange to me because he noticed that. And sometimes he would help me with my homework. He would give me extra lessons so that I could get ahead. But at the same time, he's telling me, but you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't want it. You should not pursue it. So it's kind of like, why are you helping me and then telling me not to? That to me was, it didn't really make much sense. And I remember one time we did have a conversation like that when I decided just to major in engineering in high school when he said to me, you, like, I'm an engineer. I have coworkers that are engineers that are women. You don't know what they have to go through. You don't see what they have to live and, and what people think about them and what people say to them. And so in my head, it was like, Well, this doesn't make any sense because mm. you're you're seeing it. You're telling me right now that you're hearing about the harassment and, and you're noticing that things are going on. And instead of standing up for the women you work with, you're trying to prevent more women from coming in. Yeah. That does not make sense to me at all. So he became an enabler mm -hmm. in this machista society. Did that uh, in invertibly like affect your relationship with your dad? Did you at any point feel like, yo, I need to... Like set my foot down y decirle, sabes que esto no está bien lo que estás haciendo y por ende me estás motivando más para, mm -hmm. you know, pues para defender y ser la que va a tener la bandera para todas las mujeres. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, I remember that when I decided to do it, I, I very much did it against what he wanted me to do. Mm. And I decided, well, I don't care. I like it. I'm going to do it anyway. And I went off. Of course, I struggled. Of course, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had yeah. to do. Studying engineering is it, it's it's hard, not only because it's hard. Yeah. It's hard uh, yeah. because they make it harder on us, mm -hmm. on women and on people of color. Of course. So not only do you have to try to keep up and study the same to topics and materials and keep up with all of the projects and the academics, now you also have entire groups of people that don't believe you should be there yeah. that are constantly trying to sabotage you that don't want to work with you don't want to study with you don't want to open any any doors or create any opportunities or even just enable or allow any opportunities mm -hmm. that maybe you've created for yourself on top of that they're verbalizing they don't want you there verbalizing yeah. you shouldn't be there so you're definitely dealing with a lot as a woman and as a person of color trying to break into this yeah. field. You you mentioned once in an interview that college was one of the most transformative times of your life, but also some of the darkest times yeah. of your time of your life, just because of, uh, you know, the stigma of being a woman in the STEM field, going into classroom. You mentioned that 15% of the women in at UCLA were majoring in engineering, and a lot of people would praise you for that. And they'd be like, oh my God, in my school, there was only 8%, 5%, et cetera, et cetera. But when you actually went inside the classrooms in perspective, it's like you could be one, yeah. it could be five, it could be two. And you're like, 
estoy sola en un mundo de hombres mm -hmm. donde no me quieren. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> how, how is that like going into a classroom and, I don't know, trying to find yourself in a sea full of men? You know, that typical like movie scene where you walk into a classroom and everyone just stops talking and just stares and it's oh, like super dramatic eyes and on you. like that happens yeah. <laughs> and this is such an embarrassing story now but i remember one time i went to a class uh -huh. and i sit down and it's full of just like white men essentially mm. and all of the desks are full of dif different tools and it was an engineering class and it's like all of these different uh i don't know herramientas and just like a bunch of stuff and it like it very much just like it looked cool but i felt so strange because everyone there literally just stopped whatever they were doing like let the freaking herramientas fall on the desk and just stared at me until and i was just kind of there like like a little mouse right yeah. like okay like don't talk to me don't look at me um and somebody next to me he just kind of taps me and he's like hey um I think you're in the wrong class. No. And I was just like, uh, and I was so embarrassed that I actually checked. And this is the worst part. Yeah. I was in the wrong class. Oh, okay. But no, no, but he was saying and I was like, oh, you're not yeah, supposed to be here, right? I was in the more advanced version of that class. Got you. Which was wow. next door. I oh, please tell me you ended up becoming his tutor or something. <laughs> so that's the worst part that uh -huh. he actually thought he did something. Mm. Like he actually thought like, oh, this little girl came in when she wasn't supposed to. Uh -huh. When I was actually supposed to be in the more advanced version, like that to this day is just kind of like, oh, I wish, like I wish. Did other men in your classroom undermine your skills because you were a woman? Oh, always. You did like group projects? Oh, or yeah. Did you have to uh, be like, you know what? I gonna do it on my own because so, nobody wanted to be in like you know the machismo culture no yeah. estar en su grupo porque a lo mejor no sabe lo que está haciendo so this is something that's a very common experience for pretty much all women in STEM and especially women of color in STEM where when you first start out with a new group whether it be at work or whether it be at mm. school or a new class that people don't necessarily know you um, nobody wants to work with you. Yeah. Like if they have to choose a lab partner or they have to be getting a group for a, a group project, everyone will pretend like you're not there and like no eye contact, let's mm. not get the little girl, you know, like let's yeah. not, let's not get stuck with her in the end until they start to realize that you do know what you're doing. So once those tests start to come out and the scores start to come out and people start to realize that you actually do know yeah. and that you actually do belong there, that's when the entire attitude changes and suddenly they want to be your friend, suddenly they want to be around. But other guys don't have to go through that. Yeah. It's an automatic thing for them. It's like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll be your partner. I've never seen you in my life, but, like, whatever, yeah. right? So it's always constantly having to prove yourself. I remember reading a statistic once that said that women, um, their resumes and, and for job applications, women are judged based on the experience they currently have, yeah. and men are judged based on the experience they could have, based on the potential yeah. that they have for the future. Right. So they're already at a much bigger advantage. And that's why you might notice if you walk into any workplace that has anything to do with science or engineering, mm -hmm. walk into any office building and then just line everybody up and analyze all of their accomplishments and all of their experience. Say there's two, three women in the room. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you that those women 
are much more experienced, much more dedicated, have much better educations, have many more degrees than all of the other men there, including those that are <laughs> the ones in leadership positions. That is just something I've seen so many times. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think one of the things that motivated me into starting this podcast is deconstructing the the man, basically, you know, because we're so taught to put up a front that uh, supposedly we're the superior. But then as you start growing up, especially having a strong mom as a background, I'm like, wait, hold up. Women are powerful. Women are great. How can we start becoming allies and kind of shifting this mm -hmm. mindset that women are less than? because that's what society has always taught us and then also how am i going to leave a legacy well storytelling i do that for a living so i love sharing stories so i appreciate you sharing yours and i want to ask is there a woman in your life besides your mom because i know she was mm -hmm. a huge influence that has motivated you and basically said echándole ganas." i think for me not necessarily like a person telling me that but more so me seeing mm. so i think it's become very normal for us to think about our grandmas and our great grandmas and our tias and see them as homemakers mm -hmm. and see them like to think that they're happy yeah to think that they chose it yeah you know it's like this whole idea of the abuelita that just feeds everybody and like won't stop making tortillas and like <laughs> you know they love to feed everyone and they love to do this and that but it's also important for us to realize that that's not necessarily what they wanted yeah. they had to eventually learn to like it and for me it was listening to all of the stories that were being told to me and listening through them because mm. it's one thing when you're being told a story it's another when you start to realize like oh you didn't want to get married at 20. Mm -hmm. you didn't want to be stuck in this house and clean up after this man and have 10 children and, and that's yeah. not what you wanted but you felt like you had no choice i remember a story that my aunt told me about my great grandma who has passed away um, but i was able to meet her wow. and they were saying that my great grandma eventually like she pretty much was just dropped off in some guy's house and was like oh like you're his you're his wife now you're gonna marry him she's a teenager this wow. dude is like in his 30s or 20s um and she didn't want to so badly that she was just she's a child you know yeah. she's a teenager and she started just lashing out and she started having all these outbursts until eventually she decides Hola, ¿qué tal? Te saluda José Quintero y espero que estés disfrutando de este capítulo de Echale Parques, pero vamos a platicar de un tema que te va a encantar porque si eres padre de familia, si eres estudiante o si eres maestro o maestra, pon mucha atención porque te quiero contar sobre la beca nacional de hacer de McDonald's desde 1985 McDonald's ha otorgado más de 33 millones de dólares en becas y esta vez no va a ser la excepción porque este año McDonald's está dando 500 mil dólares en becas y puedes ganarte una beca de hasta 100 mil dólares pero ahora más que nunca ayudar a estudiantes hispanos a hacer más que las generaciones anteriores a hacer más de lo que creían ser capaz y hacer más
más de lo que pensaban que era posible por sí mismos, por su gente, por su cultura y por un mejor futuro. Para más información sobre la beca nacional Hacer de McDonald's, visita mcdonalds.com diagonal hacer. Aprende más porque puedes ganar una de 30 becas. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to shave my head because he's no not going to want a bald wife. He's not going to want to marry a bald woman. Wow. So she shaves her head and it didn't work. Of course, he just made her wear a headscarf. Oh <laughs> But it's like thinking about those things and hearing those stories like they didn't want this. Yeah. They wanted to be more and they were forced into this lifestyle so mm -hmm. for me that's what really motivates me and inspires me because i feel like i'm finally at that point in history where i am the first in this long line of women that have come before me who have wanted to be more i'm the first that actually can be more yeah I and agree. so i just feel like i owe it to all of them mm -hmm. to do it not just for me but for them no That, I think that is a beautiful message because you truly come from a line or a lineage of trailblazers and of, I mean, chingonas literally mm -hmm. who have <laughs> gone against <laughs> the, the patriarch. And um, very similarly, right now when you were mentioning your grandma and like she didn't really have a choice, I was talking to my mom and I'm like, mom, what was your dream when you were growing up? Like, ¿qué querías ser tú mm -hmm. cuando eras chiquita? And she's all like, I wasn't really thinking about that. I was just trying to survive mm -hmm. and how unfortunate how uh, as women they were already conditioned yeah to just survive and be you know the stay-at-home moms mm -hmm. but that is a whole nother topic yeah. and tangent <laughs> but i want to talk about your mission in blue origin how was that whole process you were the last remaining person out of 7,000 applicants 120 countries how was the application process for it So it first started out with what kind of reminded me of like a college application yeah, okay. where essentially it's it's uh, all of your experience, all of your education, um, any community service that you currently are doing. And then the major question that they wanted to know is what do you want to change in the world? Mm. And so I remember I sent out that application on the last day before it closed I think uh -huh. it closed at like 5 p.m. and I did it at like noon that day. Okay. <laughs> That's the day I found out. I didn't <laughs> know about it. Oh, okay. I was yeah. No, no. Which I am, <laughs> but I just didn't know. Okay. <laughs> and so it was just one of those things where, you know how like you might see something and it's due two months later and mm -hmm. you might just like not do it or forget about it, but just the fact that it's urgent, yeah. it just kind of forces you to do it right now. Yeah. So that's sort of what happened for me. And a lot of people don't know that, but actually I applied in 2019. Mm. So three years went by. Before you actually heard something. Well, I was hearing back, but it was like the entire process took a long time. So before I heard anything, One year went by. Okay. And that's when they told me I was a semifinalist. But it's like, okay, like, hold on, who's this? Like, wait, what? What did yeah. I do? What did I apply for again? Yeah. Um, no, yeah, it, it, I definitely, like, I was waiting, but not waiting. You mm. know how you eventually, you're just like, okay, like, I know yeah. this is going to take a long time. <laughs> and then another year goes by. And they're like, hey, you're still a semifinalist. We want more information. We want to know what you're up to. It's been two years now. So tell us what you've been doing. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it was an entire application, um, essays and uh, education and experience and all of this stuff. So, again, I sent in that information. And then another year goes by. So it was 
like almost three years wow. like entirely um when they finally told me that they wanted to give me an interview because they have a seat on an upcoming mission and it's oh very immediate uh-huh. they gave me one month is that how long you had to prepare yeah oh my god yeah but the reason why they selected me is i made it easy for them mm. because they gave me one month but i've been training since 2019 got it so it was like well it's me because it's me because yeah. i have it all you know <laughs> yeah yeah so i i definitely think that that's one of the most important things that i really like to highlight about this story mm-hmm. that would i have gotten it if i didn't start training on my own right because this opportunity comes they're given one month to find somebody that is already prepared already has everything necessary Mm -hmm. in order to go how many people have that yeah it's sort of like when they say like oh wow you were so lucky it's like no opportunity and preparation Mm -hmm. meet itself that is considered luck you were like you were saying you were preparing yourself that moment before you got on the blue origin and you started hearing the takeoff what was going through your mind your heart i was actually very relaxed i remember that i was sitting there just looking out the window and just kind of being like "Mm -hmm." Uh like i could take a nap right now (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's that preparation you you're prepared so much and you run through the mission so many times that even though it's your first time doing it in real life you've already done it so many times through the simulation that you know exactly what to do if there's an issue exactly what to do at all moments at all times you recognize every beep every sound every warning every light you know forwards backwards in your sleep and so in that moment it's kind of like okay like yeah. I got it. I got it. I love that. And then you mentioned that you had a specific mission going up there because you did. Uh, well, there was research done that many of the astronauts that go into space come back and are activists, uh, are politicians, and they want to change the world mm-hmm. because they've seen the world in a different perspective. Yeah, you've seen the world in a different perspective, and now we see you trying to change it with McDonald's and I said. Talk to us about your activism, not only as an individual, but with uh, with the children in your community and STEM. Yeah, I think that one of the most interesting things that I've lived is really just that experiencing that shift, because I always was the kind of person you know, like that social justice warrior, right? Like yeah. if someone is picking on somebody in yeah. high school, then I'm going to like stand up in front of everyone and be like, don't you dare talk to him that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's just always been me. And so when it comes to this and you have an experience like this, what I've realized is that for somebody that already has that, because yeah. not everyone has it, but for someone that already does, instead what this does is instead of giving it to you, it makes whatever you have already so bold and for me it's made me just truly realize like people's opinions don't matter people's ideas about certain things and their way of living if it doesn't match mine doesn't mean we have to follow it it doesn't mean we have to listen and just because somebody is a president or a politician or a whatever doesn't make them any better than a little ant that is on that hill outside. Yeah. Not at all. That's what I've realized. And so I've been able to walk into the offices and, and walk into meetings, meetings with like some of the most important people in the world. And I'll just be like, hey, like, let's talk doing? about this yeah. stuff. Right. Yeah. Let's work on this. Let's yeah. let's fix this problem. 
without that fear, without that embarrassment or the shame of, oh, you're so big and you're so much better than me and you're, you know, yeah. you're you and I'm little me. Like, I don't feel that anymore. So that's why partnering with organizations that are working towards that change is really important for me mm -hmm. because even though I do believe that individuals can achieve a lot, I think when you put those individuals that feel that way together, you can achieve so much more. Mm -hmm. That's why McDonald's really attracted me to begin with because I see everything that they're doing and I see yeah. the way that they care about their communities and that they empower the people in those communities. And for McDonald's, it's not about, oh, come and work for us and, and just yeah. stay in the same job for the rest of your life. Like they want to see you grow. If you're coming in and you're a high schooler and your dream is to go to college and be an engineer, they want to help you with that. Yeah. If your job is to come in and eventually be a manager of a store, eventually start your own franchise, their goal is to help you with that. Yeah. If you want to come in as a crew member and eventually reach into corporate, like they want to help you. That's the really cool thing about them. And so when they reached out to me about this scholarship, it was just the perfect fit. Yeah. Because it is a scholarship, it is for Hispanic students, for Latinos, for people that are coming from communities like the one that I grew up in and that I come from. Mm -hmm. So being able to share my story with students and, and partner with McDonald's to try to encourage them to apply to these scholarships. I mean, come on, yeah. a $100,000 scholarship? Who doesn't want <laughs> that? So uh, McDonald's uh, scholarship, ACER, you can... Yeah. You can look it up. You can apply at mcdonalds.com slash hacer. Yeah. The applications are due February 6th. So listen up. If you or your kid or your friend yeah, or yeah, your neighbor, yeah, like, yeah. anyone, anyone that knows a high school senior or just a, a, a student in general that it's eventually going to be a senior, yeah, know. you know, because you can take the time to make sure that you're going to prepare, that you're going to have everything ready. You can start as a freshman to try to look up what it is that they're asking for so that by the time you're a senior, you can be prepared and, and apply. And not necessarily just this one, you know, like definitely apply to Acer, but apply to so many more. They're out there and, and we want to help you go to college. Yeah, I'm a product of scholarships as well, as you mentioned, you mm -hmm. are too. So I feel like so many, especially the Latino community or underrepresented communities, don't apply because they're scared like, oh, I'm not going to get it. Yeah. When they really don't realize, well, not a lot of people are applying because they have that same mentality. And that's how I've gotten scholarships. I'm like, just apply. Si sale, sale. Si no, well, what's the worst that you lose? Yeah. So, but I'd like to thank you so much for your time or your, you know, being on the podcast. Y muchísimas gracias que le sigas echando ganas thank you. a la vida. Te esperamos en la cabina en Cali 93, no? Because that's where I work. Yeah. So, whenever you don't want to kick it on air, we'd love to have you. Thank Pero you so much. Muchísimas gracias, Katia. Thank you. <laughs> gracias por escuchar Echale Podcast. If you made it this far, I ask of you one thing. If this podcast made you think, reflect, or enter an existential crisis, then share it with me on social media. Nothing would make me happier than knowing that these stories had a real impact. Nos vemos el próximo martes with more stories and más chisme. This was Echale Podcast. Echale Podcast. Echale Podcast.